we want to turn our hearts and attentions to Luke. We are in Luke chapter 9. If you don't have a Bible, there's some on these tables here. The Connect table back there has a few more. While you are getting there, while you're turning to Luke chapter 9, and we're going to be focusing on the end of chapter 9 this morning. But while you're turning there, I have a question for you. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Have you guys ever heard that term before, follow Jesus? All right, you, you probably have, right? It's something that's thrown around a lot, especially within the church. Actually, probably only within the church. Um, follow Jesus. What does that actually mean? Any thoughts? Manny. Practice what you preach. What was that, Brian? Seen and not heard. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Right. So you piggyback, yeah. Live out what you say you believe, okay? What else? Copying him? Copying Jesus and the things that he did? Providing an example? Yeah, yeah. You can't follow him if you don't know what his words are, what his ways are. What yeah, you got to learn, be in the word, learning who he is and how he lived, and what he says for us now. Right? Yeah. What else? Submitting to his authority. What authority? And I only ask a follow-up question, Seth, because that was a really good answer. Not because I'm testing you, okay? Submitting to his authority. Uh, yeah, keep, keep that one in the back of your heads. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what he says even to his father, right? Right before going to the cross. Not my will, but yours. All right, we're going to be in Luke chapter 9 today, and we're going to be specifically focusing on the last paragraph, verses 57 through 62. But I want to give us a little bit of a rundown, a little bit of context, a little bit of where we are and where we find ourselves in this chapter. And so what we've been seeing as we've been going through Luke and getting a snapshot of each chapter is that Jesus is going around places, and he is, he's interacting with the people who most of the people would not want to interact with, right? He's interacting with the people that no one really even wanted to touch, uh, that people thought were unclean, they thought they were sinful, and he's interacting with those people, but he's not just interacting with them because he's a nice guy, like he's bringing healing and restoration to them. And he's healing people who couldn't walk, he's helping people who couldn't see, who were blind, be able to see. He's bringing food to those who are hungry. He's eating with people that nobody would sit down with at the table. And he also has all these people who are fine, they're not sick, they're well, and they're wealthy coming around him too because they're hearing what's going on and they're coming around and they're watching and they're listening to him. And he's teaching all these people all along. And he started off by saying, the kingdom of God is here. Repent, which means turn away from what you thought you knew, what you have been following, what you have been living in, and believe the good news. 
And after that, he goes and he finds these men and he, he goes up to them and he says, follow me. It's a simple command, follow me. Come with me. And some of these men, they, they drop everything they're doing, their business, their livelihood, even their families, their hometowns, and they come with Jesus. And so now what we're gonna see in chapter nine is they, they've been watching him do all these amazing things, perform all these miracles, and now he's starting to get their hands a little dirty too. He's gonna get them involved with this work. And so at the beginning of chapter nine, we see that he sends out those 12 apostles, the people who he said, come and follow me. He sends those 12 out, and he sends them out to go and to pray over people, but also to cast out demons, these evil spirits that were oppressing people. So he sends them out for this work, and it's crazy, and it's hard, and it's probably super scary, right? And then the king, Herod, starts hearing about all this stuff going on. And he asks this question, who is this Jesus? And some of his advisors come and they say, well, some of the people are saying that he's John the Baptist who has come back from the dead. And Herod's like, that doesn't make sense. I beheaded John. I killed him not that long ago. This man's around the same age. That doesn't add up, right? The math doesn't add up. They were born around the same time. And then so they're saying, well, some other people are saying he's Elijah. And others are saying he's one of the other prophets of old. And Herod's going, I need to know who this guy is. And so we continue through the story. We fast forward. The disciples come back from being sent out by Jesus. They come back, and they're pretty excited. Like, Jesus, all these amazing things happen, but they're also super tired and worn out. And so he goes, come with me. We're going to go rest, right? But as they go to rest, this massive crowd who's also been hearing and wants to know that question that Herod asked, who is Jesus? They start coming after them. They're following them. And it ends up being a crowd of, we're told, 5,000 men, which means there were also most likely women and children there as well who were not counted in that number. So there's a lot of people. And they're coming with, and they're following Jesus, and he ends up just teaching to them for a long time, telling them about this good news of this kingdom of God that's coming. And at one point, his original 12 followers, his disciples, they come to him and they go, Jesus, people are getting hungry. We're in the middle of nowhere. There's no in and out around how are we going to feed all these people? Send them back to their villages so they can get food and they can get rest. And Jesus goes, why don't you just feed them? They're like, what are you talking about? We don't have any food. And if we go to the market to buy some food, like we don't have enough money to pay for all of these people to eat. And he goes, well, what do you have around here? And they, they go out and different, some different gospel accounts tell us that actually they, they ask some of the people around them. They find that there's five loaves of bread and two fish and that's it. And I don't even know if the fish were cooked. And so he, he gets this food, and Jesus prays, and he thanks God. He thanks his Father for providing 5,000-plus people with five loaves of bread and two fish. Thanks for providing this limited resource. And he goes, now take it out. I want you guys to sit them in smaller groups of people, and I want you to feed them all. And so they do just that, and they feed everybody. And they end up coming back with these leftovers that amount to more than what they started with. And not only that, they come back with 12 baskets full. One for each of Jesus' 12 followers who were sent out to do work on a mission, who were called to follow Jesus, who were tired, who were ready to find rest. And Jesus provides for them in the midst of that. It's a pretty incredible story. I wish I was preaching on that this morning, but we're not. But that's part of the context. And so this happens. And then Jesus asks them. He asks later his 12 followers, 
Who do the crowds, this crowd I just fed, they're, they're all following me because I'm doing these miracles. Who do they say that I am? And they get the same answer that Herod's advisors gave. Well, many of them think that you're John the Baptist brought back from the dead. Others think that you're Elijah the prophet. And others think another prophet of old. And Jesus turns to them and he says, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say I am? And Peter speaks up and he goes, you are God's Messiah. Do you guys know what Messiah meant? What is Messiah? It's by the way where we get that Hebrew word Messiah is where the Greek word uh, came from that has now become the word Christ for us. So when we say Jesus Christ, we aren't saying that's his last name. We're saying he is Jesus the Christ. What does that mean? No one wants to take a guess, huh? Savior. Savior? What is it? Prodigy. Prodigy? What do you mean by that? Pride and joy. Ooh, I like where you're going with that. What else? You're thinking Savior? Yeah, yeah. So the word means a savior king. I like where you're going, man, with pride and joy. Like this is God's anointed savior king is actually what that means. The anointed king who is going to come and save the world. This is what all of the Jewish people were waiting for. They've heard the stories. They've grown up in this. And they're waiting for God's pride and joy, anointed, rescuing, saving king who would bring in the kingdom and rule over all the nations. Peter says, I know who you are. You're God's Messiah. And then Jesus starts to tell them, your idea of the Messiah is way wrong. You're expecting this guy to come in and overthrow the Roman Empire, to bring you out of your oppression, to raise you up so that we can have a great kingdom for Israel right here and right now. But let me tell you, I, the Messiah, Jesus says, I have to be rejected by all of your religious leaders and killed. So then from there, Jesus goes out and he does more Jesus stuff. He starts healing more people. He, he cleanses a boy who's been possessed by a demon. And then he goes out again and uh, they see this amazing thing. Peter, James, and John Peter, who just confessed, you're God's Messiah, he takes them up another mountain and they see Jesus transform. And all of a sudden, two other figures show up and it's Moses and Elijah. Okay, Jesus definitely is not Elijah because there's Elijah right there. I don't know how they knew because they didn't have photographs of Moses and Elijah. But somehow we know that he's standing there with Moses and Elijah. And then we hear a voice from heaven saying, this one right here is who I want you to follow. The other two figures disappear and Jesus alone is standing. Follow him. We're getting this, this story starting to unfold about who Jesus is. And still after all of that, what happens next is we hear the disciples start to argue with one another. Which one of us do you think is going to be the greatest when Jesus comes in as king? When he kicks out Caesar and overthrows the government and the kingdom of Israel reigns? We're with him. We're his posse. Which one do you think is going to be sitting by his side? Oh, certainly it's me, right? 
Peter's probably like, oh, it's me. I, did you hear? Like when he asked, who do you think I am? I spoke up. I said the right answer. I'm going to be right there with him. They're arguing over which of them is going to be the greatest. Still not grasping what's going on. Jesus told them twice, I'm going to have to die. And so what we're told in chapter 9 is Jesus then starts making his way toward the city of Jerusalem, where the elders are, where the chief priests are, where the religious leaders are, who he just said are going to have to reject him. Jesus is starting to make his way to his death. He knows it's coming, and he's facing it head on, and he's going, follow me. And I want to read from you in chapter 9 before we get to our verse in verses 23 through 26. When they say this, oh, you're, you're God's Messiah, and he tells them, I'm going to have to die. He says this, verse 23. He said to all of them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses or forfeits himself. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Jesus is telling them, I'm walking to my death right now. And if you don't follow me, you have no part of me. What does it mean to follow Jesus? So as he's on his way to the city of Jerusalem where the Jewish religious leaders, the people who were God's chosen people are about to reject him, first he passes through a Samaritan village, the people that the Jews knew like, oh, these are not God's chosen people, right? And they reject Jesus too, which means Jesus is passing through on his way and there's no place where they will let him stay the night. There's no place where they'll let him rest his head. Remember when Jesus, we were told at the beginning of Luke, when he was born into this world and there was no place for his mother to sleep that night to give birth to Jesus as he was entering into this world. And so it had to be out in the, the manger where the animals were. And so in a similar way, Jesus passing through a Samaritan village and they reject Jesus. And they keep sending him on his way and that on their way out of that Samaritan village, on the way to his death in Jerusalem, is where we find our passage for this morning. Verse 52. I'm sorry, 57. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, and him is Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus turned and said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. But let me first say farewell to those at my, my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back, is fit for the kingdom of God. This is God's terrifying and good word. God, I pray that you would open up our hearts, our minds, our ears to receive your word this morning, that we would not only see 
Jesus, your life and your words as an example of how to live, but that it would be your word given to us, your spirit speaking it to us to transform us, to awaken our hearts, to make us look more and more like Jesus, that we could truly follow after him. To the glory of the Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you guys ever gone somewhere and like once you get there, you're like, oh man, I really don't want to be here. Has that ever happened to you? Or you're like, I really, really want to go to this place. And then you're on your way or you get there and you're like, this was a mistake. Like I, the last time we were in Disneyland, I felt that way. I love Disneyland. But we were there and it was so crowded. Like last week, uh, Wade was preaching on when Jesus was in the midst of this crazy crowd and they're all bumping into him. Like that was Disneyland for us this last time. It was just insane. And the lines were all crowded and a bunch of my favorite rides were all broken down. And I was like, this is a mistake. Why did we come here? Uh, when we first started working on the space for Cultivate, my boys were super excited to come and help us. And so like, dad, I wanna go. I wanna help you work on the space. And so I tried to explain to them, all right, I'm gonna be working. You can come and help me. There's only certain things you could do though. And it's not gonna be fun. But they still wanted to come. And sure enough, about 20 minutes into it, they were bored to tears. So they don't really like going there with us anymore. What's interesting is when these people come to Jesus, they're like, I want to follow you, Jesus. Jesus' sales pitch is not that good, right? He's like, I want to make sure you know where you're going when you follow me. Do you really understand what's going to happen? Have you guys seen those, like, pharmaceutical commercials for, for medicines and like everything just looks so amazing and wonderful and happy and like someone just like running through lilies in the field or like I no longer have depression because of whatever the drug is and then you get to the end of the ad and you get this disclaimer right side effects may cause and like you get this whole list of stuff this most recent one I listened to I can't remember the name of the drug it's probably good in case some of you are on it I don't want to call you out um the side effect was anyone under the age of 35 might have thoughts of suicide. Anyone over the age of 45, the drug's probably just going to kill you. You don't got to do it yourself. So there's this sweet spot right in the middle where you might feel better by taking this drug. I was like, seriously? Is that? That's your sales pitch, right? So... Jesus doesn't do that, though. He doesn't, like, give them, like, come and follow me, and I'm going to give you your best life now. I'm going to make sure you find the best parking spot. Like, these are things I heard in the church growing up. Follow me, and I will take away all your cares and concerns. Just find rest in me. By the way, following me may turn into loss of life. Like, he doesn't do that. He goes, no, 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 let me tell you straight up what you're getting yourself into. Really, you want to follow me? And I love how Jesus talks. He just like, he's like, I want to follow you wherever you go, Jesus. And I think if someone came and was like, hey, I'm all in. I want to be a part of Missio. Like we're doing this connect class thing after. We're like, cool, you're in. You know, like, or if someone comes into this group and they're like, I just gave my life to Jesus. We're going to be like, all right, add that to the number so that we can say we had this many salvations this year. Right? Like we're, we're not going to question. We're like, yeah, that's awesome. And Jesus, Jesus looks at him and he starts with this weird like, you know foxes, they, they have these holes that they can go crawl into at night and they can find rest and shelter there. The guy's like, yeah, okay. He's like, you know the birds, 
flying in the air, they can stop flying at some point and they can, they can land and they can rest in these nests in trees and they can find shelter from the trees. And the guy's like, cool, Jesus. That's nice. And he goes, but you know, the son of man, and remember, we talked about this. This is the number one phrase Jesus used to refer to himself. The son of man has no place to rest his head. I, I was just kicked out of the Samaritan village. They wouldn't let me sleep there. You really want to follow me? And that's Jesus' sales pitch. When, when you, if, if, if you are someone who says you're a follower of Jesus right now, when you first came to follow Jesus, what sales pitch were you offered? Did it sound like that? It was like, life's going to be really hard. You're going to have to turn away from a lot of the things that you've been doing and finding joy in, the things that you thought would fulfill you. You'll know, in fact, after a while, like your heart's going to change. You're not even going to want those things anymore. So all the things that you think are so great, you will no longer find joy in. And you're going to probably lose some friends. And you're going to have to change the whole way you live. And you're going to have to refuse some things in your life. And we don't get this here. We don't get this here in our country. But for much of the world, you're probably going to lose family members who will disown you. And you'll probably even be killed. Come and follow Jesus. Right? And the answer to that question, like, do you want to follow that Jesus? The answer to that question has to come it has to come from your answer to the same question Herod was asking, the same question Jesus asked his disciples, his followers, what the crowds were saying and what they said, is who is this Jesus? If Jesus is a great example for us to follow so that you can have your best life now, it's not gonna work. It's just not. Let's be real. If Jesus is a teacher to teach you how to live a good, moral, upstanding life, you know what Jesus did is actually he came into the world and he started dismantling all the moral codes that the religious leaders had in place at that time. If Jesus is just this person who comes to only rescue you, to save you, to give you your, your punch card that says you get out of hell free at the end of the days, and like you get to float up in the clouds and play a harp for the rest of your life. If that's who Jesus is, what does that mean for right now, right here? Like what does that mean for this world that Jesus, the creator of all things, purposely entered into for 33 years? Lived 30 years in it without even like, we don't even have much written about it. Just living in it as a part of it. So this God who obviously cares about this world here and now, what, what does Jesus have to say about that for us? If he's just the one who plucks us out of here at the end of everything, right? The question, who is Jesus, will determine who you are really following, how you answer that question. And if he is, as Peter said, God's Messiah, there's a whole lot of implications in that. But what's interesting is Peter answered correctly with his mouth. He knew it up here, and yet they still weren't getting it. 
And they were still arguing and bickering over who's going to be the greatest among them, right? It wasn't until much later when the Holy Spirit comes upon them that they actually start getting it and walking in it. And if, you, if you're like me and you grew up in the church and you heard things like, all you need to be a Christian is to say this prayer. This is starting to get really confusing why Jesus is being this harsh to people. Jesus, let me just go bury my father. Nope. Let the dead bury their own dead. Jesus, let me just go say goodbye to my family. You know what? You're not fit for the kingdom. What? Are you kidding me? I, I thought I just had to say this prayer. Well, hold on. Paul did write, if you, if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. Is that right? Absolutely. Here's the problem. What we have done post-enlightenment in our history, like everything's become academic, logic, reason, rationale, what we have done is we have hijacked the meaning of that word believe to become this intellectual assent, this acknowledgement, yeah, 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 Peter says, you're, you're God's Messiah. I know that. I've said it with my mouth now. I'm saved, hallelujah. Hashtag blessed, right? And I think what we're finding here in Jesus' words, like, no, that word belief is so much deeper than an intellectual acknowledgement than just saying, yes, I know that as true. No, there's a deeper meaning to the word there that you will place your entire life in it. You will place your entire trust in that being true, your entire faith. And if you truly believe it, Jesus says, not just that you will follow me, but you also follow my words. So if Jesus really is God's king, who comes not just to rescue us, but to rule over all of creation, then if we believe that, that means we have to listen to what he says. And if what he says is, you have to come and follow me, even into my death, there's a lot. There's a lot of implications there for us, right? But what does that look like? Today, 2019, sitting here in this room in Peoria, what's the last thing you've had to sacrifice to follow Jesus? Can you think of the last time you had to give something up to follow after Jesus? I mean, this time, like, at least people were understanding more, okay, Jesus is going to go overthrow the government, like he's gonna set us free. I'm gonna drop my fishing job. I'm gonna leave and leave my family. I'm gonna follow this, because I had to give something up, right? Jesus is calling them, I, I want you to do more than that when you come and follow me to the cross, to my death. And they were, they were a culture that was oppressed. And so I think they understood giving up more. What is the last thing you had to give up to follow Jesus? It's a hard question, isn't it? It's a good question for us to ask ourselves. And what I'm not saying is, hey, if you haven't like really, really suffered this week, you aren't following Jesus. It's not what I'm saying at all. But what I'm saying is that's a really great question for us to inspect our own hearts. And to go like, has Jesus just become this way for me to have a good life? a way for me to feel good about myself? 
a way for me to not have to deal with the wrong that I've done in this world? Because it's, it's forgiven now. Or is Jesus calling me to follow him somewhere? What is that thing he's calling me to follow him to? And so the first guy comes up and he goes, listen, I, I'm, you're not just like going to follow me into success and greatness and power and wealth. That's what my 12 followers were just talking about and arguing about. I just want you to know, like, that's not what I'm heading to right now. Do you want to still follow me? Jesus doesn't tell him you can't follow me. He's just being honest with him. I want you to know up front. And then what is the second guy? It's interesting, at this point, so this guy came up to him and he says, Jesus, I want to follow you wherever you go. The second guy, Jesus turns to and says, will you follow me? So it's like you get this picture, this guy's like, Jesus, he's all excited. I'm going to follow you wherever you go. I'm with you. Jesus is like, this is what you're getting into, man. And after he says that, it's like he turns to this other guy. He's like, what about you? You in too? And this is what the guy says, right? To another, he said, follow me. This is verse 59. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Sounds like a reasonable request, doesn't it? And Jesus says to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Why wouldn't Jesus let this guy go bury his father? There's, there's two understandings we have to have of this interaction right here. Because when we just read that sentence, it's like, man, Jesus is hardcore, right? And he is. But there's something else going on here we got to know. So first of all, in that time, in the Jewish law, if this man's father had just died, he wouldn't be out in public right now. Because he would be considered unclean just by being around death, which meant for at least a week, he had to isolate himself from the entire community. So if this man's father had just died, he wouldn't be there. So we know that that didn't happen. But maybe like his dad is sick and he's about to die, right? Probably not. Because in that culture too, even if his dad or any person he was around was sickly and about to die, same rule would apply. You're unclean. You gotta stay with them. So what's most likely in this scenario is what the man is saying is, listen, there is a Jewish understanding, a law even, that I have to honor my mother and father. The very first thing that is important in my life is that I need, and you know this, Jesus, you're a teacher, you're a rabbi. I gotta stay here and I gotta care for my family. I, like that's part of Jewish law and custom. I need to care for my father until the day he dies. When that happens, I'm all in. Could be a year from now, could be five years from now. I don't know. He's doing pretty good. Right? Like, and so what he's saying is like, hold on. I got this other obligation. Let me fulfill that first. When that's out of the way, when it's not a barrier anymore, then I'll come follow you, Jesus. What's that thing in your life right now that you're going like, Jesus, I know you're calling me to this, but you also know I got this thing going on too. When that's done, when that's no longer an issue, I'm all in. Let me deal with this first. And it like could even be a good thing, right? Like when my kids move out, Jesus, I'm all yours. 
but I'm called to care for my kids right now, right? That's true. This man was really called to care for his family. And so it's still a pretty crazy thing, outrageous thing Jesus is calling him to do. But what's interesting is in that time, the only way a person could get out of, and I, that sounds really harsh, like to get out of caring for your, your father and mother, but like the only way a person was free from that obligation, that religious law, was if a high priest came to them and said, I want you to come and serve at the temple. At that point, you have an obligation that's greater than your family. By Jewish custom, Jewish law, you are now required to leave your family and go with this high priest to serve in the temple. Jesus is coming as the high priest in this moment and saying, I want you to leave every other obligation and follow me. I want you to leave every other obligation and I want you to, what does he say? Go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Let the dead bury their own dead. Do you know, sir, that this world is broken? People are dying. It's, it's happening all around us and every single one of us will. Your father is going to die one day. So will you. You know what? Let those who are concerned with this world and the finality of it and what death can take from you, let those worry about death. I want you to go and proclaim life. I want you to go and preach life in the kingdom of God to anyone who will hear so that when they do die, when they do pass into the grave, when they do, they can also rise with me into new life. This is what Jesus is calling us to. Follow me to the cross, he says to his followers, because what he's gonna do is not just lead them to the cross, not just lead them to a death, not just lead them to a sacrifice, to a giving up of something, but he's gonna lead them through the grave back into life. We, we read this morning from Psalm 23 that we will pass through the valley of the shadow of death. And when we're following Jesus, that's just it. It's just a shadow. We pass then out of that valley, following Jesus into new life. If you understand who this Jesus is. If Jesus is just a teacher, not so much, right? Like if, if you have two different people coming to you and saying, I want you to follow me, it's gonna be really hard and you might even die. It really depends on who this person is saying it if you're gonna listen, if you're gonna follow. Like, if I came to you right now and I was like, I want you guys to follow me out of here, like out, out of this parking lot when we leave today. I'm gonna to take this, uh, this road. We're gonna go through Sunny Slope. You're gonna meet some of my friends there I was talking about earlier. Uh, we're gonna go through this really scary part of town. We're gonna get out, we're gonna walk you're probably going to die. There's gonna be some people there that are they're not good news. Uh, I've almost died several times. They're probably gonna kill you. Um, but if we get on the other side, like, you're gonna be all right and then we'll have lunch together. We'll have a nice picnic. Like, are you gonna follow me? Probably not, right? But, but if you are in the middle of a snowstorm on a mountain 
you've never hiked before and you're facing certain death and you have a tour guide who goes, listen, I've hiked this dozens of times. I know exactly where to go. It's gonna be hard though. We can't control the elements. You may die, but I need you to follow me because if you don't, you will certainly die here. You're probably gonna follow that tour guide, right? And Jesus is coming to us saying, I'm gonna lead you through this shadow of death. You're gonna die to yourself. It's gonna happen. But I'm gonna lead you back out on the other side to true life. Leave the dead to bury their own dead. I have good news of life for you instead. Then we get a third man. What about this third man? He's just heard another guy who's like, I'm gonna follow you, Jesus. And Jesus is like, Foxes have holes and birds have. He's like, what? And so he watched this exchange. And then another guy who Jesus turns to straight up asks, are you going to follow me? And the guy's like, well, yeah, in a few years. And Jesus is like, nope, that's not going to cut it. And this guy, this third guy suddenly has the audacity like, well, guess what? Me. I'm faithful. I'm your guy, Jesus. I'll follow you. I remember a few years back, Bethany and I were at uh, this conference. It was uh, a Christian retreat conference. And we had a guy we didn't really know that well at all yet, uh, know better now, came up to us. And he was like, I don't normally do, it was like in the middle of like a worship time. He's like, I don't normally do this. In fact, I hardly ever do this. I feel really awkward right now. But I feel like the Lord has given me a word to share with you guys. I've never told, we've never told anyone this before. I don't even know if you remember this. Okay. He's <laughs> like, I feel like the Lord's given me just like this, this picture. Like as we're sitting there praying and singing, I don't know you guys, it's weird, I'm sorry. Like I, I had this picture of like Jesus on the cross and there's a crowd around and he's like, who wants to get up here with me? And nobody would, but you two went up there. And I was like, What? I was like, first of all, uh, that wouldn't even matter. Like, my death means nothing. But here's, I, I really think God did send him to us with, with that word. Not because it's true necessarily. Because shortly after, I was reading this, this story in Luke. And I felt like the spirit was like, really? Really, Chris? You think so? Like, I, I had this, like, Arrogance me like, yeah, yeah, I would do that, wouldn't I? And Jesus is like, really? Do you know what you're following me to? Like, I had to wrestle with that question. Like, yeah, there's been times where we have given up a lot of stuff to do what we feel like Jesus was calling us to do and to be faithful. But you know what? There's other times where I won't even get off of my phone to interact with my family. Let's be real. There's times where we've given up a lot of money that we didn't have, but there's other times where I don't want to give 10 cents to the guy on the street corner. I just don't. I just shared with you guys a story of like two homeless men I interacted with this weekend. By God's grace, that was a good weekend. You guys don't know the stuff that was going on inside of my heart and my mind though as I was and as I was judging them. Like, yeah, I said out loud to this guy, you were made in God's image, and that is true. But you know what I was thinking inside before I said that? You know what I was thinking after he hugged me and how I felt like I needed to go take a shower right away? The thoughts that I had toward this person 
And so like, I had to wrestle with that question. And the spirit was like, really, Chris, would you? Would you do that? I went to that cross alone. Even Peter, who said he was going to follow me and he wouldn't leave, denied me three times. Really, Chris? So I feel like, yeah, God gave him that word. So I would have to wrestle with that. So I'd have to come to the end of myself. You get this third guy, and he's like, yeah, yeah, I I would. And Jesus says, really? And he goes, yeah, but first, let me just go say goodbye to my family. Reasonable request, right? And then Jesus goes, anyone who puts their hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom. And he gives this agricultural analogy, because if you were plowing rocky soil, and that day, the soil is super rocky and hard, like we've had lots of technological advances. Soil has been tilled, it's much better now. Like it was very rocky and, and hard soil. You had animals pulling this till. And, and if you looked back, chances are you're gonna like get a crooked line. And if you don't have straight rows, where it's easy to go and plant the seed, they're not gonna have good fruit being produced. And Jesus loved using agricultural terms like this. He talked about the kingdom this way. It's a seed. The kingdom of God is like a seed planted. And it is here and it's already, but it's still growing. And I need you. I want you to partner with me to cultivate that. That's the beginning of the story, right? God comes and creates this beautiful canvas of earth. And he goes, I want you to cultivate this. I want you to to bring out the potential. Partner with me. It's incredible that God chooses to partner with humanity for his work. And the problem is that we have always rebelled against that partnership. We've always rebelled against that purpose of joining in God and his work. And that's why the very next chapter when we turn the page, Luke 10, is he says, the harvest is plentiful. Let's get back to the agriculture. Harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. There's not many of you who want to follow me and partner with me in this. And that's why Jesus does go to the cross alone. And he goes into the tomb alone. But he rises out. He rises out. That seed had been planted and life is sprouting from it. And because Jesus rose from the grave, he has given us his spirit. And so those same people, Peter and all the other disciples who are like, I know you're the Messiah, but I'm not ready to follow you yet, suddenly have power from God, from the Spirit himself to start following Jesus, to live in this purpose he's called them to, to partner with him, to cultivate God's kingdom. And that's the invitation to every one of us today. Will you follow Jesus? Will you partner with God in cultivating his kingdom? Will you join in this work in the power of his Spirit? It's going to cost you something. But it's going to bring you so much more. It's where you'll find life. Let's pray. God, we recognize that we so often just follow after our own wants, our own desires, the things that we think will make us happy in the moment. And we lose sight of what is true and what is good and what is right and what is beautiful. We lose sight of who you are and the work you're doing in this world. God, in our, in our flesh, we don't want to give anything up. We just want you to comfort us. And yet we're reminded 
that we are comforted by you, by your spirit who is the comforter as we follow you through the valley of the shadow of death. And that just as we share in your suffering, Peter writes much later, that we will also share in your glory, Jesus. If we stay following you, fixing our eyes on you, help us to be those believers who truly believe wholeheartedly. Help us to be those confessors who go and proclaim the kingdom, not just say a prayer out loud. Help us to be those followers. To the glory of God and the power of the Spirit, in the name of Jesus we pray, amen.